How far, how prepared did you get? I guess is the question. Um, I mean, I, I read the book before, but didn't reread it this week. <laughs> That's what I'm doing again. I'm actually rereading the whole thing. I, I read it earlier. I, I think this might be my second or third time going through it, reading it again. And, um, well, you can spend a lot of time just in the early parts of this when he starts talking about the um, the unveiling of good. Yes. It's like, oof. Oof. Um, and I think what what it is that stands out so much is how much deeper the medievals have thought through things you know I was how, think- shall- how shallow mo- we are as modern people no i was thinking about that i you know so as i was looking at the poetry that um he starts quoting and laying out one of the things immediately i started saying man this is so um simple the poetry the stanzas the way they build up it's like this is really simple poetry um in the format but it's not simple in the words used, the complexity of what he's revealing in the poetry is rich so that right. even though the poetry is very simply laid in the the rhythms or in the the format, it's it's not it's very complex in what he's portraying. But Spencer's right. portraying. So you have to work really hard. I'm like, yeah, you can read through this and hear all the words and understand what he's talking about in some basic form. At least know that the, what the words communicate, but in the what the poetry does and the, the parallel that it makes, you don't just grab that, you know, so quick. And so I was yeah. thinking, I was like, man, these guys were using very basic forms of poetry to communicate really rich and massive thoughts, and that I don't think that we think like that at all. Yeah, well, I think it, I, we use poetry to veil our shallows. Uh, and they use poetry to unveil their depths. I, I mean, I think that's the the what's oh, I that's always find funny. fascinating. You're right. We do. That's exactly right. We use poetry to veil our shallow, and that's why we have to have very complex uh, outward. So when you look at it, it's the complexity is in the structure, right. not in yeah. not in the imagery. Yeah, and so you you sit and say wow what does this mean i mean i I just went and watched um the the new wes anderson with my oldest son what's it called um oh man it's called it's and it's really a fascinating movie but we both walked away saying what does that what was that movie about asteroid city is what it's called okay oh yeah yeah we both walked away saying, what was that about? And we had to think through and think hard. And I, you know, I think we figured it out, but it was, um, it wasn't a straightforward, here's what this, here's the story. Here's what it's about. And it's told, you know, it's, it's, it's a layered story about a play being put on. And so you've got the front stage and the backstage, and then you've also got, the flashbacks to when the, it was being written. So you've got three stories being told. And so some of it was just that, but, but when you get to it, there's it at the base, there's just a fear that there's no meaning, right? That's, that's what's at the base um, 
of all of it. And if an alien shows up, does that mean does that mean there is more meaning or less meaning in the universe? And that's what right. it's about. You know, is is there meaning in the universe? Is the question that's being put forward? Um, and does, <laughs> don't you have to have meaning just to be able to ask the question? Well, you and I know that because we have read just a tad bit of philosophical apologetics, you know, <laughs> right. you realize that you have to have a foundation under the question in the first place. Um, and the, so, but what makes the movie so interesting is in order to get people to wrestle with that issue, because we are such a shallow people, you have to make a really complex story that gives them the illusion that they're wrestling with something hard. Mm. But it's actually a really simple question, um, you know, that really ends up with a, th a three premise answer. Um, if you can ask the question about meaning and people understand it, the, um, then how would you put it? Then there must have been meaning already before you brought to bring your question to it. Right. If communication is possible, then, um, then there must be ultimate meaning somewhere in the universe. You know, this, I, it's funny. Is this why our preaching is, is so problematic? Because I think that we struggle with this from two different ends of the spectrum. I think you have kind of your EV free, um, very shallow evangelicals who are trying to um, water down as much theology as they possibly can with a big parade or a show that seems complex. And so they put the same way that they do as, as you're talking about this, I'm just seeing the same setup inside of um, our, our, some of our larger churches or you say mega churches or just churches that are trying to reach people. Let's just say all their motives are pure. They have a very basic shallow message uh, that isn't really deep. That's very surface, but then they have this huge complex um, structures around it. So they'll have like a, a huge show and then they have this timing with the music and the sermon changes perfectly. And then they have, you know what I mean? Everything's just yeah. so intricately built together. And, and so that all the, all the message, then when it's time to be preached, like they have your attention to try and get this in you. Right. Um, and, and the message is shallow so you can grab it. So it's, it's kind of like our poetry in the same way. But then on the other side, we have this complexity in how we use our exegesis you know, <laughs> where it's like we we cover up the meaning that's not shouldn't be covered up with this huge extravagant look of I know how to use grammatical um, diagramming instead <laughs> the messages yeah. so we do the same thing on both sides one way or the other. Well, and uh, I would say that generally with the grammatical historical method too, you get really simplistic um liturgies right mm. with no often with no sacramental you, you're there's no, nothing sacramental in your liturgies right you do your baptisms outside the service um even and then there's the the lord's supper is rare um so there's no mm. be, um gk chesterton says that we're the kind of creature that need to bolt to be simultaneously um at home and on an adventure 
mm. all the time that that's that we're built for for two things that don't coexist well <laughs> leave it to the paradox master to say something yeah, exactly. like that and and that we and that this so finding the satisfaction of both our our being built for adventure and being built for home um means that we have to figure out how the uh how how the veiling um of reality functions and works right so that we can realize that there that you know being home raising children um the that uh you know raising a family having a having a yard doing weekly barbecues right that there's an, a deep deep adventure to that and whenever we're sent off on an adventure there's a um a way there's a way to do that because we care about home and there's a way to do that to escape home right mm. that that those two things that look at first glance to be um opposed or ac actually depend upon one another it's not an if you don't love home then being away never becomes an adventure mm. right? if if you don't love home then um being away is just you know part of the escape of the prison of home um whereas if you love home and you can't wait to get there then being away becomes an adventure uh, and that that i think is what our liturgies lack <laughs> mm. right we we need both of that of those things to be true and historically um we've the the liturgical theology fl kind of flops between the two errors um of trying to to make it very very hyper spiritual you know um and so you get the mystics and you know the you know a number of I mean, you know many of which really love the lord you get in our day the the charismatic you know the the very charismatic or i um you might have a better word for it cuz it's not just cuz your day in day out charismatic is not somebody who i'm talking about but like the people where every every time you get together if there's not a miracle or a prophecy or that something has gone wrong right that the spirit has withdrawn from us because life is a constant um supernatural event mm -hmm. right you've like so you got that charismatic yeah. yeah the hyper charismatic um but i think that's an insult to your regular charismatic to you know like hyper calvinism isn't really calvinism hyper charismatic isn't your your normal charismatic um that yeah. that worships the lord and but you know um thinks that that there you're still weird stuff happens you know that sort of thing um but you know hyper charismatics and and regular charismatics get along a lot better than hyper calvinist calvinist <laughs> yeah yeah you're probably right i the um i'm not i don't have a ton of experience in that world but i grew up in a family of responsible charismatics right okay yeah so, so i've got this my experience of charismatics are all these incredibly bible loving responsible christians um who don't have a a regular weekly liturgy right every week you expect the spirit to guide and direct uh yeah. you with a different liturgy you don't have the the regularity of a liturgy that you can come to feel home in um but it's it so isn't, true yeah right so yeah. It, it's so but you can have you can fall you can you can tip away from that error um and 
what you just what you and you then you end up just not seeing your liturgy <clears throat> right because you will develop yeah. one a people group will develop one matter now, of at fact, the same time yo go ahead matter of fact if something is ordered consistently that is evidence that the spirit is not moving right like right right like they we right. need to have something like well we weren't planning on that and then the spirit comes in and messes up. You're like, "Woo, yeah, that's something. Something went down now." Yeah, you know, right. the spirit is moving. We got them in here. We working, right? Because right. of the fact that the order has been, if there is an order that we typically flow in, it's been interrupted, right? And that's right. That's how we know the spirit is operating, right? And and the so there's no there's never a place there's never a place to settle in and say no, this is home, right? Mm. I, I'm at I'm at home base right now. Um, you know, my, this is liturgical home, um, the comforts of, of a weekly liturgy, but you can fall the other direction to where you no longer believe that there is something spiritual, big S spiritual going on and that it becomes a materialistic, um, event, right. That, that, why do we do the sacraments? Well, because they remind us of something, right? It's a brain chemistry need mm. um, that that is fulfilled by the sacraments, right? We're the kind of creature that need visual stimuli to uh, bring us to the proper understanding. And so, um, you know, and I, I have even heard folks in that camp say things along the lines of, well, God stoops to our immaturities, and so there are some people that really still need poetic and visual stimuli. They wouldn't even say poetic, but visual, no. yeah, visual stimuli. Um, and uh, because of their immaturities, God stoops to our immaturities. But eventually, you know, we all grow out of the the need for the sacraments. Um, and that kind of um, gnostic that that's much more the temptation on the reformed side of things, right? To really? think that. Yeah, that you get that what you have is um, that that the liturgies are more reminders than um, than they are anything else. When you, when you um, say liturgy, are you just talking about the format in which we do service and communion and the baptism? Well, I, what, yeah, what do you mean yeah, by yeah. liturgy? Yeah, okay. liturgy. So so like um, you know you're you're called into worship. You are the five um, C's. The, the five yeah the five c's um and you know there's disagreements kind of about what order but they're generally you get the five c's in liturgical liturgical settings or historically informed liturgies um which is call call to worship confession um consecration communion and benediction i can't remember what the last c um is, is commission commission yeah yeah so you're uh, you're, uh, and there, you know, historically, if you read somebody like John Calvin or Augustine or, um, you know, pretty much anyone in the, in the middle ages that they have a liturgical theology that says that the spirit of God promises to be with us on a sun, on a Sunday. And when we gather, and then, um, the means of grace are, um, the liturgical movements, right? So when the, when, during the service, when the pastor stands up and um, speaks, he's speaking on behalf of Christ, 
He is a he is the official um, mouthpiece of the body of Christ who speaks God's word. And that's why it's so important that he knows the word and he loves the word and he stays close to the word is because his job is to be the ambassador of the king who speaks the word. And in the liturgical setting, he is in his official capacity as ambassador the entire time. And so he is speaking the word. He's declaring what God he, he's, de- he's declaring God's part of it. Um, I mean, this is why there's certain aspects of the service that you have to be ordained in a liturgical setting. You have to be ordained to do certain parts of the service mm. um, because you need an, you need an official ambassador to be able to speak with the authority of, of mm. the word of God. So the, the word of God carries the authority of um, the God of whom, who spoke it. So, all of that means that every service um, in a liturgical setting, every service is an adventure, right? Every service is um, God showing up. And when God shows up, you you expect things to be um, intense. You expect things to, um, so, so by faith, you know, when we hear the preacher preach, we expect it to hit home we expect it to cut to the heart because it's the word of god it's god speaking to us god is present speaking by his spirit so then every service really is a charismatic service because what they're always looking for is like for god to show up right right how they define that be a little different but it's like no that's one of the words we say god showed up today it's like well well i think i think it's what what are the (laughs) marks what are the marks of god showing up right right so um, mar- the marks of God showing up are I mean, when he, when he comes, it says the spirit will convict us of our sin. When he comes, it says the spirit will forgive us of our sin, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the, um, uh, the, th- when Jesus gathered people together, he fed them, right? So we can expect when God shows up for a meal to be a part of it, right? So there's things, um, so by faith, we see that we are in the presence of God, that we have been brought into the throne room of God, that we're gathered with the angels and the saints that have gone before, that we're on Mount Zion, right? All of those things are true, whether we can see them or not. And by faith, we do see them. Sometimes uh, you know, somebody sees it by sight as well, um, but that's not, a, that's not better or superior or more real. We, when we come into the presence of God, we come into the presence of God. And by faith, we expect to be changed, to become more like him, to hear uh, from him and to hear our, our, him speak into our specific setting and you know, all of those things. Um, so, when it, so then speaking of this, and like we were talking about before with kind of like uh, what we we're talking about with poetry, um, and oh, the complexity yes. of it. So in, so in the, in the middle ages, they believed that the world, um, th- that the physical world was a, was veiled communication or veiled poetry from God telling us who we, what he's like and what he wants from us. Right. It was all communication, but it, there's a veil over it. And that poetry was the proper way to to lift the veil mm. to see general revelation as revelation, right? Poetry was the means 
but um of wisdom of wisdom gathering right so that the wise man sees um sees all of creation as general revelation sees it as real revelation that's um that's general so it's authoritative it's not specific in an authoritative way it's general in a um non-authoritative revelation right so you have um so it's not so it but it's still revelation and that the proper means of gathering the revelation is poetry poetry is the way you lift the veil um so there's a lot of wisdom to be gathered studying the world the way it works his um history the way god has worked throughout history there's a there's a lot of wisdom to be gathered and the proper means of lifting the veil is poetry so poetry takes the complex communication of creation and simplifies it to us Mm. we no longer believe that and so we have so our poetry is complex our poetry becomes the difficult thing rather than um, be because we don't have the con it's not trying to communicate. It's not trying to c- simplify something that's communicated in a complex way. It's it is. So it's purposefully making something complex because we still need something complex as humans. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was what got us started there. So then, yeah. So then, so then, what is what is creation then? In that perspective, if if poetry needs to be complex, but you need the poetry, so yeah, that's really interesting. Let me think through. So the poetry is a way of taking something that's complex to give a revelation to someone, right? right. To, to to reveal to them the thing that they're seeing, what it is. But if you think, but if you start making your poetry complex, then what are you saying about the creation itself? Well, I think you're what you're saying usually is that it it has stopped communicating to us, right? So, so we have to dress we, up. We've got to cover it up then, because it, it's already. Yeah. So we, it's I. This is. So, a, a lot of this has to do with really the new astronomy. Um, so because the new astronomy is what emptied poetry, right? When you started getting the new astronomy, which is that. The world is a you know that 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 our that we are a rock floating through space, um, that the we are on a rock floating through space that we happen to be the one one wet, one wet rock in the universe floating through space, um, and then everything else is dark, cold, empty, and and silent, right? When you when that astronomy came in and re. Um, reoriented the imagination of mankind. You started getting modern poetry, which complicated and and um, became a um, a way of veiling creation because mm. we unveiled it. We thought we unveiled it and found something terrifying. Um, I mean, it's the, like the opening of Annie Hall, the movie Annie Hall. You've got the 13 year old um who uh, studies astronomy and learns about cold death entropy and cold death and he stops doing his homework because he says what's the point (laughs) right what's the point of of studying anything if you peek under the skirts of reality and find cold empty quiet um death right and that that's where everything's headed and is 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 that what they 
Is that what they found? Because you said they found something they didn't like. Is that what they? Because maybe I'm wrong in thinking about this, but I mean, what if what if what they found was something that like? Oh, I feel like I'm gonna be. You know, the, I was just thinking of the children of Israel when they come to the Mount of God and then they hear God and they're like, "Nope, nope, you, you, <laughs> you, you go up there, Moses. You go talk to to that thunderous God, and because we we we'd die trying to go any further on this. So you go you go talk to him. But when Moses goes to talk and to bring them back, they straight just drop into full idolatry." Right. Well, because right. of what so, they found, <laughs> I I think it was terrible. I think this is one of those those interesting things with that we don't like to talk about. When somebody says, when you ask somebody what space is, what space is like, yeah, and they start describing it, you say, "Man, did where did you ever go there?" Have you experienced it? Ever, they obviously they haven't, unless they're one of the eight people alive now. I think that have been to space or something. It's not. It's not very many. Um, it's less than twenty. Say, well, so you haven't been there, so you're depending upon the reports of an authority, right? Um, so yes, this is. I'm depending upon the reports of an authority, um, but the way it it's been so effective that every single person depends upon the reports of those handful of authorities um, and there and imagine the same thing, right? It's been an incredibly effective. um, uh, Oh man. I don't want to call it propaganda because that makes it sound like it was purposefully evil. Um, but it's an incredibly effective communication that you can get the entire world to imagine sp- uh, space the same way. Um, so, but you have, you've had that before, right? If you asked somebody in 1400, um, tell me about, you know, tell me about earth. Um, they would have the same sort of thing. It's just, they have a different cosmology. And so they ex- describe it different. Um but the cosmology that we have described is a materialist cosmology and Christians have assumed it just as much as anyone else. Right. So, um, you know, our liturgical expressions all are basically reflections of the modern astronomy. Okay. No, you don't get to, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, are, are you telling me that you don't believe space is cold? Are you and like? Well, I ha- I haven't been there, so I don't know if it's cold or not. But I don't actually believe that it is dark and silent um, and full of death. I the mm. um, because we're told for one that we're told that it's um, full of angels, that it's full of music, that it's full of. Um, that we've got that there's a, a giant dance going on up there. And so, um, so, I mean, I just saw some, I, something crazy. And it was one of those things where it went by in a reel and I didn't know, I don't know what I'm doing. So How to get back. To, I hate when that happens. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I've experienced was, that one. 
it was um it was a guy talking about the it was a guy that uh um he was a he was a professional um he dealt with people that had been abducted by aliens and he had over a hundred cases where the aliens um explained the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone <laughs> and he was and he was saying like he he's he's keeps being told he's not allowed to talk about it mm. <laughs> it's like but he's like not all the aliens do because there's other aliens that come with you know t- talking all about you know um you know uh that that but he said you know the aliens almost always have some sort of spiritual message either mm. pro jesus or anti jesus mm. right and this it's just he's just he's just a, this is what he what he does is he interviews people that have been abducted by aliens um and i and it's one of those things where you're like well that's a, that's crazy um uh-huh. so maybe the aliens are just angels that are coming down they're like look don't let them trick you jesus really is who he says he is <laughs> but uh, this is that's so speculative i'm just you know that that's just why wouldn't be you a fun <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that, that'd be a fun thing to find out someday i have a feeling that you want to be in a room where they interview the the guys who've been abducted by aliens Whoa. oh my gosh wouldn't you wouldn't you want to be i would in a second use it no that's 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 you, white people problems. That's that's y'all. Y'all want to do stuff like that. I, I got different. I, I got enough problems dealing with my own. I don't need to deal with no aliens. I got, uh, no. When, when they were taking married couple applicants to go to Mars, I brought home the application and my wife wouldn't let me fill it out. I was like, you, know what? you don't want to go to Mars. I want to go to Mars. I, am, <laughs> I would I would in a second take one of those trips to the moon. Oh, take I, one of those, you know. Why, why don't you trust the account of the people who have experienced space when they talk about how cold it is, um, they're, 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 what they come back with, that they don't, why don't you trust their account? Uh, well, I don't think it's that I don't trust their account. It's just that um, it's the same people that tell us a fetus is a clump of cells. Okay. You ain't had to say less. Right? Yeah, and then so, tell us to put on a mask. I get it. Right. So the the if you if you look at a fetus and all you see is a clump of cells, um, that's what a fetus is made of, not what a fetus is, right? And so a report about what something is made of, you have not yet told me what a thing is, what a thing is, um, because mm. so if you go into it with a metaphysic that doesn't already that that. The, the metaphysic that Edmund Spencer is putting forward is that this whole place is veiled um, and that part of Adam and Eve's job is to lift the veil and give it, give everything its true name, mm. lift the veil, discover what, what everything truly is. Um, and that that's the, that's the job uh, as Adam and Eve's descendants. That's the job. If you don't believe that you're a priest after the order of Adam or a priestess after the order of Eve, if you don't believe that you are a um, king and queen whose job it is to discover the mysteries, then your reports are going to be thin, right? Mm. Um, it'd be like, you know, the, the person that 
that uh you know what i i i, I, no, I got one um it's the way that we looked and did science on black people right yeah right if you have a cosmology and a worldview that puts you guys completely in different categories of humans um or less human then you start saying stuff like they got different brain sizes so they're less intelligent right, right. um it, we've done this so we we do it now with with babies um we we do it we still do it all over the place um we do it with how we virtue signal of our skin complexions right uh as if that all of a sudden my complexion of my skin gives me a certain intelligence or virtue that I didn't that no one else has right you're right we do do this um in other and and I, that's interesting i never thought about it like that um so the cos so a broken cosmology the broken metaphysic well it starts with cosmology your mm -hmm. cosmology is going to interpret your metaphysic yeah and you, and we we see this all the time you know people that don't believe um you know, pe people that don't believe in something um, explain it away, right? They, they, if you if you don't think something's possible, then your your brain doesn't register it, your mind doesn't register it, um, or you you know you explain it as something else. And um, you know, there's famous <laughs> scientists that talk about this. Um, you know, saying, look, we can't, we don't take all of the data into account because we already know what's not possible. Right. And so there's data that shows up that we ignore because we already know it's not possible. And that's how you do science, right? Well, that's how you do science in a materialistic universe, right? When, mm. when we believe that the scientific method is the only way to get to true knowledge, or as close to get to as close to true knowledge as you can get, then um, that's how you do science. Um, when you when you when you all when you pre disbelieve something, you're not gonna see here, you know, whatever it is. So, um, so it's not that I don't believe their accounts of what they are, it's what they're saying, or think that they're liars, or. Believe, you know, I believe that people that we went to the moon. I'm not. I was going to ask you that. Deny the moon landing. I, yeah. Um. You know. It, uh, I think, or I'm not a flat earther or anything like that. Um. The. Uh. I'm not a flat earther because no, because I'm a classicist, and so I know we've known that the world was round since before Plato, right? You know, the um the 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 roundness of the world uh, was never questions until you got to the modern mm. times when you when they had to when they tried to tell us that the old people that the older view of the world couldn't possibly be true um they they slandered the ancient the medievals and the ancient people by saying they believed in a flat earth nobody back then ever ever believed in a flat earth um they slandered the the ancients and said they used to believe in a flat earth as because they didn't have um, a straightforward way of convincing everybody of the new astronomy of the new cosmology, right? They have to um, discredit the older cosmology and they did it with lies. Um, what, how do you, well, how do you think that they're, 
they're doing that now? And where do you think that it's, or do you think they've kind of won and and then uh, on? Well, I think they've, I think they've won. And I, but I think that now um, the accusation is, oh, you're a flat earther. You know, if you start questioning anything, oh, I guess you're just a flat earther. Um, And uh, so it's the same sort of slander, um, you know, but so like, for example, you know, if I was talking to somebody and I said, well, you know, you, where do, what do you believe is the center? If they ask what I, would you believe the earth is the center of the universe? And I said something along the lines of, well, I believe that the universe is four dimensional space. So there isn't a center um, in the third dimension unless you, so you have to pick something you can pick the earth. It's just the makes the math more complex or you can pick the sun. It makes the math less complex. Um, but I don't think that saying the sun is the wow. center is, is mathematically accurate. Right. Say, Oh, you some kind of crazy flat earther. <laughs> right. They say, well, no, actually I actually just, it's, that's just geometry. Right. That's just, you know, geometry tells us um, that, and the so the, but you're not allowed to. But that puts into question all of the everybody's what's everybody in everybody's imagination, right? Yeah, so well, that, yeah, that's the yeah. part that you that you're not really allowed to touch uh, um, is because the 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 domination of the of a culture's imagination is the real power that's the real control well see as you said that i was just thinking okay well hold on jason we know where the galaxy is and we we had understanding of the galaxy so we know that remember i sent you this one video where the the galaxy is traveling through space and somebody said you think it's traveling like this where it was fixed and then they were just going around and around each other and then the next clip but it's actually traveling like this and it was like shooting yeah, through space and it was elongated as it was going around and I was like oh right. my goodness is this true and you said well kind of <laughs> yeah I mean you, you could you can choose to imagine it from that perspective because there is because you have to pick a point in order to be able to see it do that from right right exactly and so but that means but there is no we don't have any the only person who can mark the center would be God because he's able to hold it all together, right? <laughs> to see all right. the edges. He, and that's the, that's the, um, the illusion is the objectivity. The illusion is right. the objectivity. Okay. The, illu- the illusion is that we ah, can say ah. there's an objective spot from which we can step out of the universe and view it. Right. That's but not what God gave us to, at this yeah. point to do operate though, Right. Right, we're we're not that kind of creature, right? We have a we're a subject within the universe, so we can't view it as an object because we're within the universe. So we we don't have that sort of stop. I just put something together. Is this what we're doing when our when when we're when the modern movement is doing? Where is ch- the chain of being? Right. Is that what we're yeah. it's the same sort of setup where it's like, oh, we're we're this type of being that we can be outside of it and 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 observe it. Right. Yeah. Is that the same that's, cosmology? Same that's exactly it, right? So ah. um ah. so and and you see this all the time, like 
um, this is the problem oh. with most modern psychology. This is the problem with you know all of the attempts of evolutionary theory to undo religion and you know all of them they they're self-defeating because we are not the kind of creature that can step out and see objectively because um, oh according, man jason yeah this i'm still putting this together but because if we are then we get to make up the rules of nature itself because right. we've attained to that ability to be the ob ob objective um to see it objectively right to, to, to observe um I'm trying to find the words to say this because yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Now I, I can't verbalize it quite yet. We're trying to be the thing that gives it its objectivity. Right. The, we're, we're, we're trying to be the kind of creature that can describe from an objective perspective, mm. right? but only God has an objective perspective of the mm. universe, right. Or even of us, right. of, of we we are always subjects within creation. Now we're priestly. We're in the priestly class, right? Which means that there's a certain amount of objectivity that we can have over things within our jurisdiction. Right. Right. But, but right. The, but right. And that's where we we want to extend that priesthood beyond um, what God has given us to be. A, you know, what God has given us and we end and that's why we end up with the nihilism we end up priests of nothing yeah as the nihilists called us um because we try to extend our priesthood out beyond the um beyond reality well, and see reality objectively but we're trying we're actually not trying to be priest anymore right we're to way yeah we're trying to be the god of the system instead of yeah. the priest Right. Of the God of the system. A, a, the priest is selected and put in position. Like that's all Old right. Testament, right? Like, like this is, hey, I've called out Aaron and him to and his and the Levites to be a they are mine, right? He, this is what the priests do, right? Um, but then what we're trying to do is like, you know, that we want to call out and make the priest or who, who gets to be priest over what, right? Right. And it doesn't work like that. We trying to change our own orientation as man, as priest of the planet, to being God of the universe. Right, to being God. And then so then we our authority structures then when they start gathering up steam, they try to put their own priests in place. Right. And so I think that's what you've got right now with the um with the uh not we, really with the the trans movement yeah um that the trans movement it's a way of functioning as a priesthood of of mutable reality mm. right so um this is what we talked about last time right so the but if you are powerful enough that to to claim sort of godlike powers we make the laws we make the we set the the bounds of reality we we're in charge around here um rather than in submission to the king of kings i am the king of kings um then you need your own priesthood and if the claim is that that i'm powerful enough to affect reality then you put a man in a dress and say 
everybody must call him a man in a dress. Every, everybody must call him a woman, this man in a dress. He's, he is the priest of our powers. Um, you, so so you had the same thing with communism where they would say, you know, today you must call the grass blue. Right, um, right. And, you know, you, you say you um, where you can't if you can't test our powers over reality. Um, and so we send out our priests to to make declarations that you have to submit to. So so then. OK, so then what does a priesthood do? Um, it well, the, the priest, central yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the the central job is to what's called oblate, right, is to lift between um and so you're lifting creation um up to its creator that's the central thing that a priest does um and then in a uh as it you know in other ways you lift things up right so you you bring the sacrifice of someone and you lift it to god you bring the thanksgiving the prayers of someone and you lift them to god right so you are your job as a priest is to oblate um, and but the priesthood of Adam has us ob- oblating creation um, through thankfulness, um, through the proper use, and through naming. Right? That's our. That's what we do. We we lift everything up to the Lord. Let's do that again. What was it? The we um, we we lift it up to the Lord uh, through using things in their their proper way with thankfulness, and then through naming. Right. So those are the the jobs that Adam and Eve are given. They they go out and they name and then they discover and they take dominion. Right. They use things in their proper way. And we're told in Romans one that it went their priesthood went wrong when they stopped being thankful. Mm. Right. That that was the that the heart of their of their priesthood is to lift thanks for everything that and um that God has given. Right. So you've got this thankful naming oblation that we as descendants of Adam and Eve, that's our central duty. Um, we go out and we take dominion of a place. We name it. We um, are grateful for it. We bring it to its proper end. We grow tomatoes and then we put them on the tables, lift them up to the Lord in Thanksgiving and then give them you a gift up. to one another. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Yes. Right. Yeah, and so, that's so it's inescapable. Man's ability to be priest is inescapable, completely inescapable, right? You can't, and so Just being bad priests, right? Even even when we fight against God, we fight in a priestly way, right? Ah! We fight against, right? So we're we 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 try to be priests to other gods, um, right? So the we we can't oh, reject that's what our idolatry own nature. Is. Yeah, that's what idolatry is, right? That's why you know, when I'm talking apologetics with people that it's always, it's not always a, it's never a rational issue. It's always a witch God issue, right? It's an idolatry issue that we're at the, that is at the heart of apologetics. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for some people, rationalism is the, the way that the God, that, that their idolatry shows itself. Um, but that mm-hmm. anymore, that's a pretty slender group of folks. Um, you know, the, the reason there's a reason that you have to go to a college campus to find somebody to argue with in a rational way, mm-hmm. right? It's a pretty mm-hmm. slender group. Um, so instead, um, 
we're dealing with some but with people who's who have taken their priesthoods and dedicated their priesthoods to false gods and helping them see that and then showing that the the actual god is a, makes a much better god than the false gods is apologetics mm. okay so this is this is this is interesting because so now as a so then with a was that all that it was as you're working through the idea and concept of a priest did we get through all of that yeah because okay i just want to make sure we did um so it's unveiling a part of that too like you know the priesthood job as far you know we're talking about creation um, I guess you said find and discover, right? What yeah. God is. So name those yes. three again. I got to write those. I didn't write those down. What is it? Those three <laughs> things. So, um, we, uh, the, we're thankful. We find the proper use for things. Metaphysical. Um, what did you say? Metaphysical. How would you yeah, pro proper we, use of uh, things? Tilios. Yeah. We, we discover. Yeah. So that it's, what how you know where it comes from what it's for what it, what its uses are right so it's dominion type of stuff so like you've a tree it turns out a tree has a ton of proper uses mm. right? there's a lot lots of different ways you can use wood and you you know the um and that's just it's like um george washington carver and the peanut right that's a priestly activity that he is right involved in um which which ones have I said already? Uh, right. we, th thankfulness, proper thankfulness, use um, proper use and naming. Right. So we, it, and and those are all oblation activities. Right. We're lifting up to the Lord what it is that we find. Hey, look at this. This thing is a turtle. Um, you know what's what do the you do with of, turtles? <laughs> what do you do with turtles? Right. Yeah. You can you can raise them as pets. You can turn them into. Um, instruments and do you get this uh, kind of oh so okay you can eat turtles okay <laughs> you can eat turtles <laughs> it's proper use um <laughs> so is this what you get when you start seeing in the garden the types of trees the, yeah each thing after its own type and um, okay you but you some also trees that are for food some some are for building you know um, yep you, and, and you get this and when you see moses uh, building a tabernacle and, and God is laying out for them. Use this wood for this, use that for this, use these metals, right. use, you know, any, but even you get it too in Deuteronomy when you're told that when you go through and you defeat an enemy, you're not allowed to burn down all their fruit trees, right? right. Like the, um, that God gave them those fruit trees for their prosperity and, um, total war, um, is, is not the, uh, where you go in and you destroy everything um, so that they can't rebuild. Right? That's not the way. So God's nuclear is off the table. Nuclear is, is yeah, is right out. Right. Really? It's not, is, is off the table. Um, and as soon as we discovered what nuclear could do, it, we should have said, Oh, that's right out. That's you know, generational destruction. We don't do that. Mm. That's, that's, that's wrong right now. Um, yeah, like 
and I've read through the arguments like, and I get the, you know, the, the, the center of the argument is generally, well, more Japanese would have died. Right. Um, and that may or may not have been true. We, we don't really, I mean, that's a, that's a speculative argument. Um, but we know you're not allowed to leave the land desolate and nu- nuclear leaves the land desolate for not as long as we predicted, right? Um, things came back quicker than expected mm-hmm. after um, the world. It has a much stronger regenerative regenerative power than, uh, than we thought. Um, this is why you probably think we're wrong on space. <laughs> That's part of it. You know, um, <laughs> the yeah and you know we we yeah yeah <laughs> oh i gotta know now you, you started well, it well there you know you we, we land on mars and we find things like ice and you go wait a second this shouldn't be ice on mars what's going you know, on I, I meant to bring this right? story, as you're saying go ahead so, i'll let you finish i gotta say something so about that the, the way science works is we're constantly adjusting our scientific knowledge with but w- we have been told that through the scientific method we've landed now here and this is permanent um but that's because we've shifted the use of the scientific method that's a philosophical decision not a scientific method uh, decision and I don't agree with the philosophical decision I think the scientific method finds us certain kinds of knowledge at, you know that helps us accomplish our priestly task that God has given us um, but it's a it's it's limited to its sphere and mm-hmm. um, as soon as they start saying well w- I would like to use scientific method outside of its sphere then I say no I'd, I'm no longer going to accept those conclusions because you're outside of your sphere. Mm. Um, Which is the same way with the objective positioning, right? Like what we were talking about early, everything then gets outside of its, once you start moving um, your priesthood, right? Uh, everything else gets moved too, right? Uh, you right. don't, you know, you don't stay, it doesn't start, nothing operates the way it's supposed to, right? It, right. Everything moves and shifts with that. Okay. It's, as you were saying that, I was thinking about something I saw with Glenn Beck. I think it was Charlie Duke who had did an interview with Glenn Beck. He was an astronaut um, who, uh, during that time, they, we went to the moon, and he was just talking about some of the things that they had thought scientifically they were going to have problems with, which was if the moon is just a dust ball or had been out there for millions of years, it's going to have all this dust on it everywhere. And so they just assumed that if they were to step on it, that they would go right through. If they tried to land their their uh, their craft, it would go right through all that dust and they would just sink. And so they had a whole plan designed to make sure they didn't sink so that through all that dust there. And they got there and it was like nothing like they thought. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, and so and I was thinking like, like, a half, like there's like a half inch of dust. Right. Exactly. And yeah. I was thinking and I was like that sounds really stupid now. Like, like, like I think about it now. It's like, why would you ever think that that's dumb? You know? And they're like, Oh yeah, we, we had a completely different, if you think it's millions, your presupposition 
was it's millions of years old. That's a lot of dust in one place for millions of years. Yeah, you're going right. to sink through, right? If but it's what do you, what is driving that? But if you actually have a Christian worldview as priest and you believe what God has told you about this place, then you know you're only going to have a couple thousand years worth of dust up there. You know, right. <laughs> like you know, and probably not even that. Uh, you know, so it's it's interesting when you said that. I completely like. Yeah, I can see your position on this, especially, you know, I don't trust the other cosmological influence, the world according to the other cosmology. I don't trust that at all. And I don't think, it's funny, I don't think we question enough of that type of mindset in everything. Like we should come to it in everywhere area and be like, what is driving their understanding about this thing? What, how are these priests now observing this are they even giving thanks for it what are and to who you know we should we should come now with a more skeptic um mindset about their worldview in cosmology i think we're skeptic of it when it comes to spiritual things but we're not skeptic of it when it comes to the gifts god has given us to give thanks for right you know and i yeah and i think that's that's where you know um when you read history you you see how often people are wrong at their guesses, even well-informed guesses, right? They guess um, the, you know, they, they guess here, this is what, this is what the Chinese are going to be like, you know, and then they meet them and they're like, Oh, they're not anything like what we had from, you know, we were putting together our guesses from a handful of, we have a handful of, data points and we put together our guesses and we're not even close. Um, How much less should we expect our guesses about Mars? (laughs) Right. If, if we can't guess the other side of the world with creatures that are the same as us, how much less are our guesses about Mars and, and Jupiter going to be now we have, and we're trying to get scientifically informed guesses, but science is, has to do with repeatability. Um, and so science takes more time um, than other kinds of knowledge. Um, and that's, that's not, that's because of the kind of knowledge that it gathers for us. Right. So um, it, it's inferential knowledge. Um, it's you use the inferential logic um, and that's its strength and its weakness. And that's, so it gives it its limitations. And I think, as Christians, we have accepted two things. We've accepted on the one hand, Plato's definition of knowledge, which unless we have knowledge, the kind of knowledge that God has, we can't call it real knowledge. Um, And then we've accepted that science gets us that kind of knowledge. And those two errors are at the heart of the enlightenment Um, at the heart of Mm. the, 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 the shift in the definition of mankind, um, the shift in the definition of what kind of creature we are is we can have that objective knowledge that God has and that science can get it for us. Um, science is the means to get us closest. Those two are, um, errors are at the heart of all the other errors. And, um, and so we don't know what to do with our, lives anymore um i mean we so it it ends up disrupting um 
our lives because the thing that makes us that actually brings us satisfaction is to settle into our priesthood settle into our priesthood in a particular place in a particular time um with particular people uh and uh and accept it and do it well uh that it that's the adventure that turns out to be satisfying um that's the adventure that can't be gotten to scientifically Mm. Mm. so then is spencer having the same conversation that we just had in the image of good or is c.s lewis having the same conversation that that we just had when we talk about the image of good well well he's he's saying um because there is that it's going back to the unveiling part again right right so what he's he's saying is that the imagine that the imagination of modern people is such that when we say hey give me some give me some examples of the good that we that we literally don't have that category right give so me you some might say well, yeah okay. so if you say well what's what's the good life people might talk about you know yachts and helicopters and you know, um, uh, perpetual vacation, you know, sort of thing, not having um, to work, not having to work. Yeah. That, that, the, that's what the good life looks like. Um, but images of, of goodness itself. Um, we, we are nihilistic when we start talking about good, our images of, of good mm. are not bad. Our thing, you know, here's, here's thing here's the bad parts removed um we don't actually have positive images of the good generally speaking of goodness um uh, of so we're nihilists about the good what do you mean by nihilist we define thing we define something based on what's not in it right we define right according to what's not there right so um if i said you know what tell me tell me about the good life you say well i don't work i don't have to worry about right um you know we so we we don't define it here's the good things we don't have to get up i don't i don't yeah akuna matata exactly no worries no worries um and Which, by that the way, was is, the bad part of the song. That was the that was the thing you're not supposed to be singing yeah. everywhere. <laughs> that's the temptation. It's the that's the temptation song. Um, it's a super catchy tune. That's yeah. Um, and but if you and if you remember, it's the temptation song. Then it's a reminder when somebody brings the Hakuna Matata lifestyle to you and says, "Hey, this here you go. Here's a get rich quick scheme." You say, "No, Hakuna Matata. Hakuna that's Matata. a temptation." Yeah, I, unfortunately, I know sometimes it comes sounding good, but I yeah. know where that leads. Unfortunately, that's not how people are singing it. They're singing no, it like, ah, oh, man, I'm having a Akuna Matata, man. That's where I need to be <laughs> at. Got a day. Right. But that's the, and that's, so Spencer comes and tries to give positive, a positive vision of the good for the imagination of, for, to, so people can take positive images of the good into their, with them in their imagination. Right. Uh. So um this is like for me, um 
when I was growing up, this is where this is what Reepicheep did in the voyage in the the uh, Prince Caspian and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader yeah. in the Narnia series is you meet Reepicheep and you say, "Oh my gosh, that's who I want to be." That's right. my positive, the positive vision of good, right? That that says, "Hey, there's a there's a dragon down there," um, and the mm. prince has to turn to Reepicheep and say, "And before you even ask Reep." You can't face it in single combat, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, right? That, that 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 that's that that kind. That's you know that's the and, and then oh we, man, we you, lost you know what that. I, yeah, I, I was. You were saying that. I was thinking we did not have any of that during COVID. No, right, very like, little. Very. I mean, there was not like give them to me. I'll take on all of them. You know, like right. there was no Reaper cheap in in COVID. Everybody was like, well, we'll just try and do our thing and be quiet. We won't say anything. Like, just everybody just calm down. We'll try. Like, it, and it took, like, the whole thing to get peeled back. And then people was like, oh, everybody's charging? Every, I guess we're charging now. Right. right. There was no Reaper Cheap where it's like, guys, I got this one. I got this one. And <laughs> you got to hold Reaper Cheap back because he'll take it on. That, that wasn't the, the tone set. So then it feels like that. We what we we don't have a good concept of good, right? right? We don't have a concept of good if that's what Reaper Cheap, you know, is doing there, charging off right. in the battle. So it, it Who, who's he? He's ready to charge at any moment, right? He just has to be, but he also has the respect to listen to his king right. when the king says. It's not time to charge yet. Right. You know, right. Right. That that the honor um and the that combination of honor and courage mm. is unheard of. I mean, I you just you don't even run into it or see it or anything, yeah. right? So um and I think this is the temp this is why young men get wrapped up in gangs and young men get get pulled into um, that sort of thing is they're being told um, their whole life like the, that honor and courage are bad things and then they uh, there's a you know a, somebody that says well no you can there's a there's a use for your honor and courage over here it's the wrong use but it's an actual use for it and so that's why it becomes a temptation is oh, I can have a brotherhood I can have a brotherhood that I defend that the honor that the honor and the courage that I feel um, I should have is there's a use for it over there. The church should be giving a use for that honor and courage. Um, you know, just, <laughs> just you, you hear um, the, but the, the church has embraced too much of the, I don't know, the feminism of the modern world to be able to, provide it for young men anymore mm. I, I i interrupted you or you were talking about the image of good and so yeah so that's so, so that's one so you like yeah so reap a cheap is is one of those images of good um but here it's saint george right is that's the the um he gives saint george as the one of the great images of good who he is um wandering the countryside under his vow to protect all women. Um, 
and the that so a, a woman uh, all women are safer if saint george is in the area because that's what he does and he comes across um a king who fed was feeding the sheep to the dragon and then when they ran out of sheep was feeding gonna feed virgins to the dragon um including the princess and he says well, no that's not what you do with dragons you slay dragons which direction is this dragon you speak of and so he goes out and he fights the dragon and um and so it's a that that story is is trying to give it an image for the imagination that people can take with them as they go out into the real world um not because they're going to run into physical dragons regularly right that was that it was rare um, then to, just like it's rare now to run into real physical dragons um, it still happens but it's rare but you are going to run into metaphorical dragons all the time and you need um, a, a a metaphor to with a metaphor that you're that you can cast yourself in in those situations who ought I to be when I run into metaphorical dragons well I have to be a metaphorical metaphorical Saint George we don't let um, I mean, this is this is the reason that um, when we were talking about doing a kid show, I said episode one should be St. George, right? This for this very reason. Um, and a, a story about a kid who doesn't have um, he doesn't have the picture in his imagination that makes him able to stand up to a bully to protect his sister until he hears the story of St. George. Then he says, oh, that's who I'm supposed to be that's that's got it and so then the next time he his sister needs someone to defend him he's ready because now his imagination has been discipled with the storytelling of saint george right that that um is that i mean c.s lewis is saying that's how people function their imagination guides and directs them with images of what's good we have lived in a time when the image for good has come from school moms and scared moms that safety is the image of the best thing that got us into this situation. <laughs> well, and you know, it's, it's bled over that form of effeminacy has bled over into how we do businesses too, or take our institutions. I think Nate's talked about this, where your institution is supposed to go into battle it's supposed to get busted. It's supposed to have marks on it. It's supposed to, you know, if it dies in battle, then it did what it was supposed to do as it's going the right way. Right. But most of us are trying to figure out how to keep our institutions safe and keep them. It's like, no, put your institution and what you're, what you're supposed to do with that, put it in battle so that it's engaging. And if God decides to give you victory and your institution survives, great. And if God decides to, you know, that you, you, you don't, get victory by surviving this battle, but God gets victory because you were in battle. Right. And so we take our right. institutions and we play them so safe. Safety is a form of like, it's good that we exist instead of it's good that we go fight. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the being survive. Survival is not itself a good. Right. That God didn't say go out and survive. Um, he said, go out and die to yourself, take up your cross. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So the, the image that he gives 
and this is where I, I do think that often the grammatical historical, and I, I don't want to make them the whipping boy, but this is where I've seen it most often um, is when they say something like, well, look, you're not David, mm-hmm. right? In this situation, David, David is a type of Christ and you're the person over there getting saved by David. That, that is true. It's also true that David is an image of good that, um, that the rest of the nation then sees him defeat the giant, the Philistine giant. And they charge off now that they've seen the giant defeated, they charge off and start killing Philistines Mm -hmm. right? in that story, in that story, the image of good, that they that their imagination is shifted and changed by seeing David kill Goliath. Now they say, "Oh, courage! Um, courage is you know, we we should have courage because David had courage and he just killed a giant, and so that it turns the nation into giant killers mm. um, to see a giant killed in front of them because that's the way the imagination of." that's the way imagination works the we the story we tell ourselves about who we are um and who we ought to be ends up affecting our actions so um so it's true that we're not david and it's also true that david is a picture (laughs) of who we ought to act like right yeah As, as we should be more like David in that in that story. We shouldn't yeah, be you, like him in you some of be the like other Saul. stories. You shouldn't be like the children of Israel, right? You should be like David in this story. Right. And when David defeats the giant, the children of Israel become like David. Right. 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 Um, right. So, and, and that's why we sing songs. That's why they sang the song David killed, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Um, is they sing songs like that um, so that more people will be like David, right? That's the, um, that's what art does. That's how God, God created the world such that the stories we tell, the art we make affects the imagination. And that's how we know who we're supposed to be and, and gain the courage to be able to be the people we're supposed to be. Um, I mean, this is why in the voyage of the Don Treader, C.S. Lewis makes such, such a big deal out of what books Eustace hasn't read he's he's read a lot of books but his books were weak on dragons so he didn't Mm. know what to do in those situations he didn't have the imaginative um his imagination didn't have uh didn't have him prepped for the kinds of situations that he was going to find himself in in narnia right um be and and the point that lewis is making is which means that's why he wasn't prepped for the real world All right, so keep going. You are um, uh, so Saint George. The thing is, where yeah. you were at. So, so um, you've got uh, you know the the and in the process of giving you images of the good, we're also given um, you know the 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 monsters become images of evil. Uh, that the kind of evil that you defeat um, by being good. So you've got, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I got mon- that. Yeah. That's yeah. page 81. Is that where you're pulling from right now? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, if good, um, if the good unveiling, oh, if the unveiling of good leads to uh, immediate respect and reverence, it is quite the reverse with evil. 
right? So it's you know you see good and there's reverence there when so evil is just right on the other side like ah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so you've you've got the the so false fear and hate everything. Oh, the reverence. It's the reverse right. of that. You get fear. You, you get fear and um irreverence maybe or something like that. So the and uh the and what's interesting too about so you you get both the mon you know you get the monsters that that you can learn to recognize so you've got the two faced um you know monster that when you first meet her she looks like a beautiful woman but she's all rotten and snakes on the inside or on the on the back um, and full of everything unclean full of everything unclean <laughs> yeah and that's the uh and you so you realize like sometimes evil presents itself in a beautiful form um, but you've got to find the figure out the substance of it before you go with it. Um, and then, but then what do you do then? Um, you know, uh, you, a courageous, uh, a courageous response is to then defeat the, you know, a cur courage defeats evil or so, you know, and sometimes it defeats it in its by losing to it. Right. But uh, mm. so you charge in and you reveal that this is a, a monster because you charge in to fight it and it kills you. And now everybody else can see the monstrous nature, right? They, where um, the monstrous nature was invisible to a lot of people. Um, but in the, in the, even in the giving yourself up and losing in a battle against evil, um, it is a, it's better to lose in a battle to evil so that everyone sees, the, and then everyone sees the evil than to not fight the evil because nobody can see it. Mm. Um, and to survive right so you've got those sorts of images of good um that should we should that should affect and and change or can affect and change our imagination um and they're out and they're about and they're available even in our modern storytelling you know um they're there we just have a shallower view of the good right See, but like if if we have a shallow view of good then we must have a shallow view of evil too and that's part of what's what what you know maybe i'm reading um lewis wrong here but it seems part of our problem is that there's this kind of bleh attitude between um good and evil well you you do you yeah whatever you want to do that's you but when you have a, this very strong Per, um, persona of good or good is very present and it's very obvious it makes evil very easy to see as well the contrast yeah. is very present in evil because good is so strikingly different that it's like well whatever this isn't that's evil this is all good right like so this is like when good is here all of a sudden you know where darkness is it's easy to see because this is light there's and the two have this you know clarity is made finally and so you don't even know what, in one sense or another, how evil, how bad evil really is until good is revealed for what it is. Right. Yeah. And that's the, you know, Tolkien is doing this same sort of thing when, with a character like Wormtongue, who mm. has existed right alongside the king for years. Um, and it's through lots of small compromises with evil that you uh. have the, the king, um, basically aged out of his knighthood um uh. it, right so he you have this 
strong, powerful knight who makes a ton of tiny compromises with evil um, and is, and it destroys his knighthood rather than, um, you know, one major, big, major compromise. And that image of evil, it becomes immediately clear when Gandalf steps into the room, right? Because there's no compromise with evil, right? In that. In, and so then the compromise becomes clear because Gandalf steps into the room. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's why you have, you know, when the sh- he shows up at the door and he says, Oh, I'll leave my sword. And he says, Oh, your staff. And he says, Oh, you wouldn't take, take an old man's staff from him. Would you? <laughs> and you, that you know exactly what's going to happen because the staff is the real power. Uh, the, is, is where the real power is. It's not in the sword. Um, it's, it's but but because the staff was hard won through the self um through the self-sacrifice with the balrog you know that that kind of mm-hmm. um power is won through sacrifice and goodness um and uncompromised uncompromising courage um and so as soon as he steps in with the staff you know uh worm tongue doesn't have a chance because now everybody can see it what was invisible to them becomes visible when he shows up and and that you know that's what we want to be um i mean and i think there's i think you've got a handful of great examples in modern literature um but they're few and far between um who would you say in modern literature well i think a character like dumbledore uh, Harry Potter. Okay, has the he has the honor. Um, the, uh, he till they know, made he, him gay in the in the new movie. Yeah, the, the new, new the new, movies, the, yeah. the, the that's a whole that's that's a whole another. I don't even think of good. the movie. The mo- yeah, I don't even think of the movies as real or a part of the <laughs> yeah the whole thing. Um, you know, he's he, because he's beat. that's what it was fantastic yeah yeah right yeah i don't th- i didn't even watch i watched the first one and it was a lot of fun but i don't i didn't watch any of the other ones once dumbledore arrives um but he is a character who is he's courageous he's incredibly powerful but it's always under control yeah um and he always um even treats his enemies uh with the uh, respect and honor and gives them a, the option of a way out because he knows he's powerful enough to destroy them all. Um, he never, uh, he never misuses his power, but he shows up and says, I'm going to, um, you know, he, here, here's an opportunity. Here's a way for you out. Would you like a way out? Um, Cause the only other option is I, is I defeat you. Um, you're that kind of, he, he is, uh, he he talks like the knights of the Middle Ages talked, um, in terms of his honor and his you know all of that, um, and, and you just don't really run into that. I mean the 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 knights of the Round Table is a central is the central um, story behind uh, behind Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a modern retelling of the Knights of the Round Table, um, and including a lot of the. She uses the alchemical 
literary systems of the medieval writers. She's really, really brilliant. Um, But, you know, Ginny, her full name is Guinevere. You learn later, you know, like, so Harry is Arthur. It's it's really an Arthur character. Wow. Um, You know, so, so she's not just creating this out of whole cloth. She is coming at it and saying, what would, how would you create an Arthurian world that you could move in and out of for modern people in the same way that Narnia is um, an Arthurian world that you can move in and out of. So she's doing something similar, um, maybe without the depth that Lewis brings to it, but it's still a similar setup. Yeah. So you're saying we don't have really, so outside of that, we really don't have any modern stories that, so then the Avengers, they fall short of what's good, of the image of good. Eventually, the biggest they, one. Yeah, eventually they do, but they start, I mean, it starts out in that same sort of setup, right? Um, why is it that we know, you know, why is it that Iron Man is such a great hero? It's because he's willing to sacrifice himself. He's willing mm-hmm. to, to give it all up. Um, we so Captain America, we, Captain America. Yeah. So it's the story of characters becoming the 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 knights, but it's in a world where they don't make sense. So it's mm. if that make, so to speak, right? So um, it's the world doesn't end up forming around them um, into a world where everybody wants to be a knight, the way that the Arthurian tales do that, you know, mm-hmm. because you don't walk away, say, you know, you might in your imagination say, man, if I had the kind of power Hulk has, you know, something, but, but you don't, and you can't. Um, and so it's harder to get Superheroes there. But it's keep not- you from, yeah. That's interesting. Superheroes in one sense or another, keep you from actually being able to do what they do. Right. Like, you, yeah. and, unless you're super rich, unless you have some sort of accident, Unless you're born in particular, uh, you can't, you don't have um, that type of virtue is not necessarily attainable. Right. Right. And and I think they, yeah, they tell us the right things, you know, like Captain America, he couldn't be Captain America. It's not the, it's not the strength that makes him Captain America. Right. It's the, it's the moral, um, the, his morality is what makes him Captain America. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's how they picked him. And I mean, Samson is basically a superhero in the Old Testament that we're supposed to look at and say, and say, oh, well, don't do that, but do do this, right? Like, you know, he he ends up sacrificing himself himself with his arms out on like he's on a cross, you know, and pulling. You, um, he's he's a pre he's a type of Christ, um, you know, that brings down the kingdom uh, in his own death, and so, but we don't have the um, we have fewer pictures of, of the good and we have more um, we tend to towards irony. Um, I mean, I think that I think DC tried to give us a an earnest world of superheroes, Mm. but, but people couldn't connect with it. Right. Right. 
a world of earnest superheroes the way that you have a world of earnest knights of the round table was it was was really hard for people to connect with how how do you uh develop or how do how do you yeah, i guess develop or create what what is good and how do you get it <laughs> uh oh man i think I think that you that we should actually be asking ourselves, what do I want my life to be like, and is that the right thing? Like, mm. um, what what is my what is my ideal lined up with God's ideal for me? Right? What kind of creature am I, and what's what should the ideal be? Um, it's going back and, to the priest stuff, right? Right. Yeah. So what am I fighting? Like, what am I fighting for? Um, Cause like we, we live in a, a weird time where power is considered a good in and of itself. Um, mm. And the conservatives have fallen into it just as much as much as the liberals and everybody, that's what everybody agrees on is that power is that um, it's, it's a fight for power and whoever gets it, um, gets to gets wield, to, yeah, yeah, wield it and um, wield reality. Actually, it's wield just, reality. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, when when somebody says, "Hey, you know, what's what's your politics?" Um, I usually say, "I want my kids' soccer games to be more important than my president." Right. Mm. <laughs> I I don't I I want my kid's soccer coach to have more, influ- uh, more to, to be more important to my children's lives than the president. I, 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 I want there to be a president. I want him to be over there, you know, writing really good treaties and doing the things that the president's supposed to do, but I don't want him doing anything that affects my day in and day out life. I, I don't think politics should be that important in our life, right? Politics. The goal of the state is protect is to protect space um, for the righteous to live safely. That's yeah. the goal. That's a good, as you're, as you're saying this, I'm, I'm imagining a fence and all we do is sit here and paint and rub around the fence. Like the fence is it, the fence is it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, actually the fence is there so that you can play soccer with your kids. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And so your right. kids are safe when they play soccer. Right. And so that yeah. your dog can run around and you can play and have a great barbecue. Like that's, so you shouldn't even notice it in one sense. It's just doing its job. Right. 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 Yeah. We had, we had some, um, you know, the, the house across the street from us has the an elderly gentleman who had to move into an old folks home. And so his house is sat empty and some squatters tried to move in. And it took almost no time before the men in the four houses on either side and across the street, we were there defending this guy's house from these squatters. So by the time the cops got there, um, and the the in uh, the the sister and you know brother in law and you know got there. Um, we already had hey here's pictures of them here's what what they're doing and you know we've here we've basically kicked them out of the house twice. Um, and so you know they go in and change the locks and everything and it's like. Well, so by the time the cops got there, the neighborhood had already defended its neighbor. 
mm-hmm. right? At one point, me and the guy across the street were confronting the this 19, 20 year old that was trying to squat there, saying, "Hey, get out of here! You know, this isn't your house. We know the guy who lives here. This is, he's not you. Um, you know, you, you're a twenty year old white kid. He's a eighty year old black guy, and uh, this isn't your house." And he was like, well, I'm just just walking through. And it was like, well, then keep walking because this isn't your neighborhood. And he he was like, man, you guys are messed up. And the response was, no, we're neighbors. This is what neighbors Mm. do. We take care of one another. And this is the kind of neighborhood you're walking through. So you need to keep going because it's not your neighborhood. And you this is not your house. And um, so they had broken in the back door and had been squatting for just a couple of do- just a couple of days before because it's a neighborhood where the the men all know each other right and um and we all and we're all on a text thread and so we got a text hey there's somebody somebody's trying to sneak into that house Whoosh. everybody shows up right we we've kept the guy's lawn mode for 5 years um and his 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 bushes trimmed and cause he's our neighbor. Um, and so the, he, he can't be there to defend his house. So we are, um, that's the kind of world I want to live in. Uh, and, but you have, so you have to, but you, that means you, ha- when you see something, you have to walk across the street and, you know, be there. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's a uh, it's a way of imagining the kind of world you want, um, and then trying to see it come to pass. So then, yeah. So then you, but you need to know what good is, don't don't you? Like so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So well, like so we were in we were having dinner, and I got a text from the neighbor. Hey, some somebody sneaking into the house across the street, right? So I jump up run out the house i should have grabbed something like a fork at least brought my fork or something <laughs> instead i just run across the street right because this is what you do um you don't the um and uh that my other neighbor do the same thing right so we both kind of show up at the same time and uh, but it's not because but and then i come back in and aaron and the kids were like what was that about you know and hadn't even you just switch you, you just do. do it yeah you just do it right yeah because that's what reaper cheap would do right, right. Like, you don't um i think reaper cheap would have his sword though i'm just saying he would have, he, he yeah. wouldn't have been without his sword in the first no. place yeah so oh. but um the it's just a it's a a matter of saying this is what we do because it's the right it's right yeah right and not thinking um pragmatically or but thinking in terms of this is you know this is my neighborhood this is my family this this is my this is this is this 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 spot should be safer because i'm here um and there's other i mean there's other aspects besides just confronting monsters you know um Mm. that are images of the good but that's just the one we've been talking about um you know the you want the you you want the um elderly and children and women to be safer because you're around um that's and whether or not you know um we that and that just you know you have to 
you you have to want want it and then act on it and then trust the Lord. <laughs> I just think that this is give me a chance to talk about theonomy again. <laughs> um, I just don't think that people have an understanding of what good is on an objective level. And it's because they're so ignorant of what God has called good. And I've been working through this with my kids. It's like, um, idolatry is bad, right? That's one of right. the things that we need to make sure we understand really well. And when people think about good, like you said, they don't have, um, that means true worship is good, right? So I, true worship, worshiping the triune God, understanding who you worship is essential. Like you're talking about, like as a priest, you're a priest, you have a responsibility immediately to, to the true worship of God. And where you see that lacks at, you, you do what you did. You stand up and you say, you shall not do this to my neighbor because right. that's my neighbor. And I'm after his good name. I don't, you can't steal from him. You can't lie about him. You can't, you know, take his wife. You can't covet his thing. Those are things that are built into um, what it means to be good. Like that is good, right? Th those are um, stealing is bad, giving support, love, seeking his good name, um, honoring his things. Those are good. That's good. That is objectively good. But that all comes from true and right worship. And if you don't have that set, which is kind of going back to the beginning of our whole conversation about our liturgy, right? If you don't have, you can only be as good as you understand true and right worship, right? Like that is bottom line, right? And a culture that has those things put in place it does become um, kind of what I think some of the people who are fearing right now with uh, a conversation on a uh, Christendom, uh, they're fearing nominal Christianity, right? And it's like, but there's going to be a culture of people that are going to follow in the lines of of the ones who are being righteous, and they might not be as righteous, but they're going to be. They're going like that's the way the society is going. That's the way that we're going. They're like, well, I want to. When David killed Goliath, the army rose up and acted like David, right? So, but I don't think that we understand the, the law of God well enough to be able to, um, I was just on Twitter. I got in trouble with Scott Annual on Twitter, which was like silly, the silliest thing ever. Like, come on. But anyway, one of the things that people were talking about was just how useless the law of God was. And there's just guys going on there. And I asked him, I said, do your children have to obey you? And he's like, no, they don't have to. I'm like, wait. I thought there was a promise that came with this. So he doesn't know what good is, right? Right. So I don't, I don't when guys like that start talking, they don't know what good is. I don't look for them. Actually, I do. I don't look for them in a, in a fight except for to make sure they're not going to stab me in the back. <laughs> right. Right? Because... If they think the, that way, there is that kind of cosmology has an, an out uh, has an effect when it comes time to throw, right? It it hasn't when it comes time when the rubber meets the road, it tells you everything you need to know about that person. And COVID for me has been kind of that moment where it's time to throw, and I learned everything I need to know about a lot of people. I figured out who the leaders were, and I figured out who the followers were, and I figured out who the enemies were. I saw good and evil clearly unmasked in that moment. 
And I saw a lot of people not having an objective reality of what good is. And, and they're failing in the same way, I think, on, um, they're doing better on the transgender stuff, but they're, but they're still failing because it is not good for you to give your kids to government education and then to fight with that government system on what they can and can't teach your kids. That's, that's not the, the good thing to do is like repent and say, I've abdicated my responsibilities to my children, but I have to argue with the, I'm arguing with the doggone dragon on which kids he can eat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And everybody's totally. like, let's pass more laws so we can get them to eat less kids. <laughs> that's not, that's not it guys. You, you know, you, right. it, it's, that's a very low, low, I mean, praise God that they're op, they're actually flexing some of these muscles that they haven't flexed before, but we need a clearer, better understanding of objective good so that it becomes very obvious to a lot more people. Right. And so that's, what's like, okay, how do you. What, how do you develop that? And I don't I don't know any other way of just saying, okay, you got to go back to really basic principles here and say, what is, okay, worship, true worship of God. What does God require of us? That we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor ourselves. Okay, where's God's standard for understanding truth and righteousness? Scriptures principally teach what man is to know and believe about God and what duty that God requires of man. Boom, there you go. All right, there, <laughs> I just think we've lost so many of those print those basic 101 right um almost the, in one sense or another jason i think it's the same way with knights we have no oaths we have no covenant like when you come on our covenant it has ethics to it right yeah. and it has sanctions to it we just don't our covenant thinking is so broken that we don't know what we've sworn allegiance to yeah and I, I think we, we don't realize how undis when when we start talking about discipleship, we don't think in terms of the whole man, right. the whole person. We think in terms of stopping certain things. So we think of discipleship nihilistic. Nihilistic. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, yeah. Don't do and, this. Don't yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. So I uh, I'm going to, there's certain, you know, there's certain sins that I'm going to stop and that's my discipleship rather than um, th thinking in terms of whole discipling the whole person um, in, and that a big part of that is discipling the imagination. Um, we just, we, we don't um, even the way we read the Bible, we read it moralistically um, thinking Okay, am I getting the am I getting the rules right from the Bible? Mm. Um, is this person a somebody I'm supposed to imitate or not? Because did they follow the rules or not? Rather than um, letting the the Bible come and disciple our imagination, our our get, giving us the wisdom of categories by which to judge, um, stories by which we judge, uh, characters by which we judge who we're called to be and what we're trying to be. And, um, and I think that's what, I mean, I, that's what Spencer is doing. That's what Lewis is pointing out and what um, is 
is lacking in, and, and it's one of the reasons that I think, you know, um, we, we think in terms of, we, th- we think about when we go to educate, we think in terms of surviving, are they surviving the education first off intact? And then does their education give them skills they mm. need to get a job and make money? And then we think that's what an education is rather than thinking, well, no, is an edge is this education discipling them into their priesthood, mm. discipling them into the, the positive vision that God has given them for their lives. Um, is it, prepping them for the um, home building and the world conquering the adventures, um, which are the two things that that we're told to do. Um, you know, go out and take dominion and multiply, <laughs> you know, build, uh, have an adventure and build a home. Um, here's here's mm. your two, your two, the two aspects of your kingship um, that we do as priests um, is conquer and home and home make. Um, and so, you know, that that's, we don't, we don't prep for reality. We mm. prep for something different. And so we, um, end up unprepared when we meet reality. Mm. All right. So how far do we actually get into this chapter? Where do we need to go from there? Uh, I think three, page 81. Uh, yeah. We need three pages. Three pages. All right. 